Could we take our reading, please, from the Gospel according to John? We'll read from the Gospel according to John and from chapter number three, the Gospel of John in chapter three, uh, reading from verse one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. We'll then read further from verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that will be a reading, and we trust that the Lord will bless his word. It's my first time to preach the gospel here in Ballyclare, so I just want to tell you something of my testimony of how I was saved. We read in these verses from John chapter 3 about how Nicodemus was saved. He was saved when he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus. You know, it tells us here that he was a ruler of the Jews, he was a teacher in Israel, but yet here he was coming to the Lord Jesus, coming to the person of the eternal Son of God. In this meeting with the Lord Jesus, he learned something of his own need before God, that he wasn't in a fit state to meet God, that he needed to be born again. He also learned the Lord Jesus told him that the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he told him that the reason that the Son of Man must be lifted up was because of the love of God for a world of sinners, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Dear friend, I hope you'll take in the truth of this today. There's a God in heaven that loves you, and there's a God that wants to save you, and there's a Savior that died on the cross to save you. How do we know that God wants to save you? Listen to the words of 1 Timothy chapter 2. God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Dear friend, the love of God towards you and towards me has been fully shown in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. I can tell each one of you today that there's salvation available for you if you'll only come to the Lord Jesus, if you'll only take your place as a sinner before God, if you'll only understand that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he died to save you. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now this was the verse that uh, God used to speak to me and to, through which I was saved. Just to give you some background, 
I was born in August 2002 in this country, but when I was 11 months old, the family moved to South America, to a country called Venezuela. I was brought up in that country. Uh, I grew up in an environment saturated with the word of God and with the gospel. You know, in my home, the Bible was read daily, but as well as that, I would have been at every gospel meeting. As my parents moved around some of the different places close to where we lived, I would have been at maybe three different children's meetings every week. In those children's meetings, I learned many gospel verses, verses of scripture like the ones we read today from John chapter one, John chapter three, and many other scriptures. So I grew up hearing the gospel constantly as a child. You know, it's often said by those who grew up uh, in a home where their parents are saved that they don't remember the first time hearing the gospel. And I can tell you that that's true. I was at the gospel meetings for as long as I can remember. But there was one thing in these early days, I didn't really understand my own need of salvation. I could have quoted these verses that I knew of by heart, but I didn't really think too much about what they meant, that I personally was a sinner in the sight of God, that I needed to be saved. Um, we, read, we read John chapter three, verse seven. That's a simple and clear statement of the truth of the gospel. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And as I said, I just didn't really understand those words. But then there was one gospel meeting when I was about the age of seven that I've never forgotten, although I didn't get saved in that meeting. But that was the first time that I can remember when I learned for the first time that I was a sinner that I needed to be saved. This occasion would have been about 2009 or 2010. It was a simple gospel meeting held in a farmyard just a few miles outside the town in which we lived. In this occasion, there had been someone that passed away. The family had asked for gospel meetings to be held in their farmyard. There was just one night in those meetings, as the preacher spoke, as he told a story about a man that sadly didn't get saved, I realized that it was possible to die in my sins. Do not be ready to be lost for all eternity. Dear friend, that's a solemn thing to realize. But I thought to myself that I would go home and get saved that night. But unfortunately, there were, there were so many distractions after the meeting, taking people home in her van and so on, that I didn't get saved that night. God very definitely spoke to me in that meeting, but I allowed myself to be distracted. Maybe there's someone in the meeting tonight and you know that God's been speaking to you. Don't allow anything to prevent you getting saved. Salvation is too important for that. You know, salvation, what we do with Christ determines where we will be in eternity. It would be a tragic thing to know the gospel, to know that you needed to be saved, but to end up, friend, in a lost eternity. Uh, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Dear friend, there's salvation available for you today. We would urge you to go in for salvation. The Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As I say, I didn't get saved at that time, but over the next few years, I still would have had an interest in being saved. Um, one thing that did trouble me at this time was the truth of the return of the Lord Jesus. The fact that the Lord Jesus one day would come again to take those that are saved to be with him forever. This was often mentioned in the preaching of the gospel, along with the fact that after this great event takes place, that there would be no more opportunity for those who were left behind. 
Another thing that I struggled with was the idea of believing. I remember one occasion reading Acts chapter 16, verse 31. I've already quoted it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I remember reading that verse and thinking to myself uh, mistakenly that that word just meant believe in the facts of the gospel. And of course, that's not salvation. Um, other times I would have tried putting my name into gospel texts as I'd heard preacher, preachers mention in the platform. But I just found that didn't help me. I was still in the, in the dark. Then it came to 2013, when a series of gospel meetings started up in a tent with our brethren, Mr. Noel McKeown, Mr. Samuel Usher, and also my own father helped in those gospel meetings. I made up my mind I was going to try and get saved in those meetings. I remember hearing the gospel night after night, reading the texts that were on the walls of that tent. And God was definitely speaking to me at that time. But after, after about five weeks, these meetings came to an end. I still wasn't saved. I just couldn't understand how others could have gotten saved in those meetings. And I just couldn't see it. But then it came just a few months later, in the month of June, a brother came down from the capital city of Caracas to our town and some gospel meetings started up to try and reach his family. Maybe unknown to my own family, I was still seeking after salvation in those meetings. This one particular night, it would have been the third, the third Lord's Day evening for the series of meetings. A brother by the name of Paul was preaching from Acts chapter 16, verse 30. Acts chapter 16. As he preached the gospel that night, uh, I felt my need of salvation. I felt that I was a sinner in the sight of God, that I needed to be saved. Just as he finished preaching, he quoted that verse, Acts chapter 16, verse 31. He, he quoted that verse and he, I understood then for the first time that the Lord Jesus had died on the cross on my behalf, that there he had finished the work. That was all I needed to be saved. And so I simply put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and received him as my saviour. You know, friend, salvation is something that's very simple, but it's something that makes a complete transformation. At that moment, I passed from death unto life. I had received eternal life, sins forgiven and peace with God. I wonder, is there anyone in this meeting that would like to know peace with God? Is there someone that would, that would like to know their sins forgiven, to be sure of heaven at the end of life? Dear friend, you could have your, you could have your sins forgiven today. The Lord Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross. You can be sure of heaven today if you'd only come to Christ and trust him. And just, just for a few minutes now, I just want to think about some of these things that Nicodemus had learned. We read in verse 7 that Nicodemus heard, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Although Nicodemus was a teacher in Israel, although he was a man who was well familiar with all the Old Testament scriptures, he learned things that he had never known before. He learned that he was a sinner in the sight of God, that his own good works weren't able to bring him to heaven. He wasn't right before God, that he needed a new birth. And he learned that the Lord Jesus must be lifted up on the cross. And he learned that he could receive eternal life through faith in Christ. Maybe, friend, you've never thought too much about the fact that you need to be saved. Or maybe you know that you need to be saved. And you just haven't made it a priority. But listen to what the Lord Jesus said. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is what makes salvation essential. 
This is what makes salvation the most important thing in life. Unless you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, unless you have a moment in your life when you trusted him, you cannot be in heaven, friend. But you need a moment when you realize your need before God as a sinner, helpless to save yourself, but when you receive the free gift of eternal life. That's exactly what Nicodemus learned. He learned that he was spiritually dead in the sight of God. There was a day when Nicodemus was born when he received physical life, but he learned that he needed more than that. He needed a day when he was born for the second time, when he received spiritual life. Friend, that's what you need today as well. We can read in the book of Ephesians, we are dead in trespasses and in sins. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This is something that affects you and it affects me. It affects each one of us, no matter who we are. This Maybe we can try and live a good life, but just like Nicodemus. But that doesn't matter, friend, because as God looks down upon us, he can say that there is none that doeth good, no, not one. We all fall short of God's standard. The Romans chapter 6 tells us, the wages of sin is death. Wages are something that we get because we earn them. Our sins will bring us into the righteous and eternal judgment of God. Dear friend, I'm so glad to tell you that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We, we can't earn salvation, but God offers it to us freely. The message of the gospel is a message of a God that is rich in mercy, a God that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish to have everlasting life. There was no reason for God to love us, you know, other than he chose to love us. Here's what First John reads, Herein is love not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, friend, the Lord Jesus has fully satisfied God on account of our sins. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. He died so that we could have life. That's why the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus that the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That was the only way that you and I could be saved. And so I wonder, friend, would you not consider tonight your need of salvation? Would you not consider the fact that the Lord Jesus died on the cross to save you? You could know your sins forgiven today. You could have eternal life. The final thing that Nicodemus learnt was that eternal life could be obtained by faith. We read those words, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, you can have everlasting life today. You can be sure of heaven. You can have peace with God. You can have, you can have all these things by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that died on the cross to save you. Ephesians tells us, by grace are we saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. You know, friend, we can't do anything to save ourselves, but it's, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Salvation depends on a work that was finished in full on the cross of Calvary. As this first part of the meeting comes to an end, I wonder, if, friend, would you consider the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross? You could have salvation this very afternoon if you'd take your place before God as a sinner, if you'd put your faith and trust in him, if you'd accept him as your own personal saviour, you could be saved this very afternoon. And we, this would, we pray that this may be so. May the Lord bless his word.
Could you turn with me, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10? Luke's Gospel in chapter 10. And we'll read from verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, that is, the Lord Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jericho to, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Turn over a few pages to chapter 19. <clears throat> Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, on verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that will be our reading, and we trust that God will bless his word along with what we have already heard this afternoon. I would like you simply for the minutes of the meeting that remain to think about this story that the Lord Jesus Christ told Why did he tell the story? There was a man that came that day to Christ. And he said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do just to be sure that I'll be in heaven? What can I do to make sure that everything's well with my soul? when life comes to an end. And the Lord Jesus Christ told them a story to illustrate how a person can be sure of a place in heaven. And I would just like to ask you a question this, this afternoon. Are you sure where you're going? I take it that in the 
heart of every individual, there is that desire that when life comes to an end, that I will be in heaven. But what I want to ask you this evening, dear friend, is are you sure that that's where you're going to be? Are you sure of reaching heaven? And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he told the story of a man who started out on a journey, left the city of Jerusalem. He was heading towards Jericho. That's where he intended to reach. That's where he wanted to get to. But he never got there. As he journeyed, he fell among thieves, the Savior says. They stripped him, they wounded him, and they left him half dead. And so the Lord speaks of the fact that two other men came along, and they saw him, but they went on their way. But then another came along. The Savior says a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he saw the man. He not only saw him, he came near to where he was, and he met his need. And so, dear friend, for the remaining portion of the meeting, what I would like to do is just simply consider these two men. The man who was on the journey, the Samaritan that came along the way, because those two men, the first, he just represents you and me. You and I are on a journey. We're on the journey of life. But we're not here to stay. We're all going to reach a destiny at the end of our journey. And the big question for us this afternoon is, where? Where? That first man, we really know very, very little about him. Don't know his name. Don't know what age he, is, he was. Don't know the circumstances of his life. Was he rich? Was he successful? Was he poor? Was he a respectable person? Was he looked down by others? We don't know anything about him. But dear friend, what is brought to the fore in the story that the Savior told is just simply this. This man, he needs a Savior. Doesn't matter anything else about him. There's just one thing is brought to the center of the story as far as this man is concerned. He needs a savior. And dear friend, that's what is upon my mind for the meeting this afternoon. Because, dear friend, if there is one thing that every man, woman, boy and girl needs to learn, if they're ever going to be in heaven, it's simply this, I need a savior. That's what Nicodemus had to learn. 
And that is why the Savior said to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. And so the Savior let that man know that unless there was a moment when he came in contact with the Savior and accepted him as his own impersonal Savior, the Lord told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, there's no heaven. And I want to just circle back again to the question where we started. Dear friend, when all of life is over, tell me, where will you be? We all would like to think that we will be in heaven. And God wants you and I to be in heaven. But remember, if you and I are going to be in heaven, we need a savior. Could I ask you, dear friend, do you have a savior? Do you have a savior? And so the need of this man, he needed a savior. We might ask ourselves, well, why did he need a savior? I know I'm being very, very simple. But I would like you to ask yourself a question, dear friend. Why do I need a savior? If we were to go back to the story that the savior told, the answer is very obvious. He had been on a journey. He was surprised by the robbers. They wounded him. And now we see him. He's by the side of the road. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, he was there half dead. Why did he need a savior? He could do absolutely nothing to save himself. If he was to reach Jericho, where he intended to go, there was nothing that he could do to lift himself and continue on the journey. He needed a savior. And dear friend, when we turn to the Bible, God's word, we find stated very clearly the reason why you and I, we need a savior. Why? Because you and I have been born with a sinful nature. And because of sin, you and I, the Bible would tell us, we're on a broad road that leads to destruction. We are not on the road to heaven. I remember the time in my experience when as a boy, I understood. I learned for the very first time that I was not on the way to heaven. Oh, I would have liked to have thought I was on the way to heaven. But I discovered I wasn't on the way to heaven. Why? Because I discovered I was a sinner. And because of sin, sin had separated me from God. Sin had made me, had given me, and had placed me in a condition where I could never ever enter into heaven unless my sins were forgiven. Because sin not only separates man and woman from God in life, but sin will separate man and woman from God in eternity. And sometimes I say, sin and God cannot dwell in the same place. And so for a sinner, to enter into God's heaven, their sin needs to be forgiven. 
But there was one thing this man came to understand. I cannot do anything to remedy the condition that I am in. And dear friend, the solemn, the solemn reality is that as far as sin is concerned, you and I can do absolutely nothing to deal with the problem of our sin. I cannot take away my sin. I cannot do something to compensate for my sin. There is no one around me that can forgive my sin and take away my sin. And the reality that I come face to face with from the word of God is simply this, that in the sight of God, I have absolutely no excuse. I am a sinner. I was born a sinner. And as life has progressed, there has just been a consistent demonstration that I am a sinner by what I do, by what I say, by what I think, by what my heart desires. There's just something within your breast and mine that responds to sin. Why? We're sinners. And that is a nature that you and I cannot replace. It's a nature that you and I cannot change. And that is the reason why you and I, we need a saviour. And so this man discovered, I need a saviour. I can do absolutely nothing to remedy the condition that I find myself in. I need a saviour. We might ask, well, when do you need a saviour? If we were to come back to the story that the Lord Jesus Christ told, when did this man need a saviour? <coughs> he needed a saviour right away. Now, when do you need a saviour, dear friend? You need a saviour now. Why? Again, if we were to come back to the story that the Lord told to illustrate the way of salvation, it's obvious the man needed a saviour now. Why? Time was running out. Dear friend, as far as you and I are concerned, God has provided the opportunity that you and I might meet the Saviour, that you and I might be saved, that your sins might be forgiven. But it is an opportunity that is limited. It's an opportunity that soon will run out. And remember what the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. No, dear friend, whenever this man set out on his journey, he never expected it to end the way it did. 
I think if he had have had any idea that it would end in this way, I would venture to say he wouldn't have left on the journey. Solemn to think, dear friend, that there's many a soul has started out on the journey of life. And the journey hasn't ended the way they expected. You see, dear friend, you and I, we're bound for eternity. And the Savior spoke of two places in the other side. We've spoken about heaven. That's where God wants you and I to be. But not all reach heaven. There is another place that the Bible calls hell. A place of eternal destruction. And every man, woman, boy or girl we're bound for one of those two places. Sad to think, dear friend, that there's many a one has started the journey of life. And they've reached the end. They never ever expected to be lost. I want to ask you, dear friend, with compassion in my soul, where are you heading to? If my journey ended today, where would I be? If your journey ended today, where would you be? Would it be where you would like to be? When do you need a Savior? You need a Savior today. Why, dear friend? Because you have the opportunity of meeting the Savior. But there's no guarantee that you'll have an opportunity should you miss this one. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. But I would like to think about the other individual in the story. We have that man who was traveling. He needed a savior. But we have read that a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And so if in the case of the first man, we don't really know much about him. As far as this man is concerned, we don't know much about him either. Again, we don't know his name. We simply know he was from Samaria. Don't know anything about his background. Don't know anything about him as a person. But there's one thing really comes out in the story as far as this man is concerned. He wanted to save that traveller. 
And not only did he have the desire to save him, he was able to do it. And dear friend, it just speaks to us this afternoon of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, that one who left heaven and came down here, that one who came, as we have read in Luke chapter 19, to seek and to save that which was lost. He came, dear friend, to meet your need and my need as guilty sinners. We've read as he traveled, he came right down to where that man was. It thrills our soul to think that there was a day when out of the ivory palaces there was one who stepped into this scene of time. Why did he ever leave heaven? Why should he ever come? Why should he take upon himself a body like unto ours, yet sin apart? Dear, dear friend, the Bible would tell us that he did it in order to be your Savior and my Savior. He did it in order to go to the cross of Calvary and there die in our stead in order to provide salvation for us. And down from the glory the Savior came, down to this world, this scene of shame, gazing in wonder, I there exclaim, Jesus died for me. Why did he do it, dear friend? If we were to ask or come back to the story, why would he stop? And why would he do so much for this man who lay half dead at the side of the road? It said he had compassion on him. He had compassion on him. Dear friend, let me tell you that there is a saviour and he longs to save you. Why? Dear friend, if you don't understand your need, let me tell you, he does. If you have never come to appreciate the danger that your soul is in, as far as eternity is concerned, let me tell you the Saviour, he understands perfectly what lies ahead on account of sin. And he has drawn near right to where you are in all your need. And not only has he drawn near, he has done absolutely everything that is required in order that you and I might be saved. It cost him the giving of his life upon the cross. It cost him the sharing of his precious blood. And he was willing to do it, dear friend. Why? I can take up the words of the hymn and say there as my surety, he firmly stood, paid for my ransom, his precious blood, died for my sins to bring me to God. Jesus died for me. That's the reason why he went to the cross of Calvary. He went to take our sin. And we were reminded in the prayer meeting, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There upon the cross of Calvary, he bore our sin 
in its own body on the tree. What does that mean? It means that he was there as my substitute. It was my sin. He bore it. It was my guilt. He paid the price. He was there, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And so he was able to save this man. Let me tell you, dear friend, there is a saviour, and he would long to save you this afternoon. And not only would he long to save you, he wants to save you and he can save you because he is able to save unto the uttermost all who come unto God through him. Maybe there's someone and you're asking yourself, well, how? How can I be saved? How can my sins be forgiven? If we were to go back to this story, how could this man be saved? I think we'd, we all would be agreed that there was absolutely nothing that this man could do. If this man was going to be saved, the Samaritan, he would have to do absolutely everything. Dear friend, that's what Christ has done. He has done absolutely everything required that you and I be saved. What did he have to do? He simply had to trust. He simply had to believe on that man who had come right to his side and was willing to save him. How can you and I be saved? Listen to what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Maybe there's someone in the meeting and you, you're like Jonathan was and you're like I was and you say, well, there's that word believe again. How can I believe? Dear friend, forget about the word belief and think about what the verse says. <clears throat> Whom you should believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting Life. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. How could this man be saved? Dear friend, it just depended 100% on the Samaritan and what he was able to do. Why am I saved? I remember as a boy of 10, remember Sunday night after the gospel meeting, <coughs> trying to get saved. I had had a burden for quite a number of weeks. We'd love to have been saved. 
And I remember that night after the meeting, up in my bedroom, I wanted to get saved, and I couldn't understand how I could get saved. And I came to that point where I said to myself, William, you're never going to get it. And in that moment, I came to understand the work had been done. All I had to do was simply accept the salvation that had already been provided for me, and I was saved. I hadn't intended to tell the story, but I remember the night that our youngest girl got saved. She was in beside us. I told her how I got saved. My wife told her how she got saved. And we quoted verse after verse after verse. Ellen knew all those verses. And it came to the moment where there was just nothing, nothing left to say. What else could we say? And after a, a few minutes, Ellen looked round and she said, He did it all for me. I said to her, Ellen, what does that mean? She says, Daddy, I'm saved. I said, Ellen, why are you saved? Because he did it all for me. What had she come to understand? Has nothing to do with my believing. Nothing to do with my trusting. She simply had come to appreciate it's all been done. And salvation has been provided. And she used to God as his word. And Christ was her saviour. Tell me, dear friend, are you saved? Can you go back to a moment in your life when understanding your need as a sinner before God, understanding that because of my sin, I need a Savior, you came to appreciate that there is a Savior. He's died upon the cross for my sin. And if I trust in him, if I receive him as my saviour, I'll be saved. Have you a moment of salvation? I would just like to finish asking another question. What would have happened to this man in the story if he had never ever met the Samaritan? Well, you and I know what would have happened to this man. He had no hope. Others had passed and had looked at him, had seen his need, and just passed on. Dear friend, could I ask you as I finish this, this afternoon, what will happen to you if you never, ever meet the Saviour? You know, it's sad to live in this world without a saviour. It's solemn to die without a saviour. <coughs> Sometimes we sing, Oh, to be without a saviour, no hope, no refuge nigh. 
can it be? O blessed Saviour, one without thee dares to die. Dear friend, remember, eternity lies ahead. Your soul is in danger of being lost because of sin. But there is a Saviour, only one. He wants to save you, and he is able to save you. Trust in him and receive eternal life this very afternoon. Shall we pray? Father, we draw near into thy presence at the end of our gospel meeting, and we thank thee again for the truth of thy word. The Father sent the, the Son to be the Savior of the world. We thank thee again that he was willing not only to come, he was willing to go to the cross of Calvary and there take our place and die in our stead in order that salvation might be provided for us. We thank thee for each one in the gathering that can go back to a moment when we met that Saviour and he became our Saviour. We thank thee for knowing that our sins have been forgiven. We thank thee that we know that all is well for eternity. We commend any in our gathering who are yet without a Saviour, that this might be the day when they would understand their need of him, and by faith trust in him, receive him as their own and their personal Saviour. Know their sins forgiven. Know that all is well for eternity. We commend thy word to thee, and pray for thy blessing upon it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.